June 17th, 2015. We may not all remember the date, but we all remember the event. It is known as the Charleston Church Shooting. When Dylan Roof entered the Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, where he was welcomed as part of a small group Bible study of 13 individuals and in which he participated for basically 45 minutes. But then he stood up and spewing racial hatred proceeded to shoot and kill nine people. Just two days later, after he had been identified by security cameras at the church and was apprehended by police and arrested, Several family members of those who died in the shooting attended the bond hearing for Roof. Some of them gave victim impact statements and spoke directly to him. The Washington Post reported on that day, June 19th, one by one, those who chose to speak at the bond hearing did not turn to anger. Instead, while he remained impassive, they offered him forgiveness, and they were praying for his soul, even as they described the pain of their losses. One woman, Nadine Collier, the daughter of 70-year-old Ethel Lance, who was killed by Ruth, said to him at the hearing, I forgive you, her voice breaking with emotion. You took something very precious from me. I will never talk to her again. I will never, ever hold her hand again. But I forgive you, and may God have mercy on your soul. The response of those family members made news across the country because it was so unusual. It was so counterintuitive, countercultural, A situation in which most often people respond by demands for revenge or angry calls for some kind of severe punishment or retribution. People were shocked by their response. The article in Wikipedia on this event (laughs) said only this about the response of the family members. Quote, Some criticism has been aimed toward the community's forgiveness of Ruth, showing clearly that whoever wrote that article did not get at all the idea of forgiveness and didn't know what to do about it. (laughs) Whoever wrote that article just couldn't process the fact that they had forgiven him. Well, this is what we see here, what we saw there, the relational transformative power of the gospel in real life. The power to forgive and transform even the most aggrieved relationships. This is what the book of Philemon is all about. We began looking at it last week and we hope to finish this short book of 25 verses this morning. So we'll continue with the relational transformative power of the gospel. The gospel has the power not only to transform us as individuals and give us victory over our sin as individuals. It has the power to transform relationships as well. 
And just so we're all on the same page, we're going to read through the book of Philippians together again. Cher will come at this time and read through the book for us. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have towards the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do that which is proper, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, Onesimus, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to me and to you. I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that in your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything, that your goodness should not be, as it were, by compulsion, but of your own free will. For perhaps he was, for this reason, parted from you for a while, that you should have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand, and I will repay it, lest I should mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time, also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I shall be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner, in Jesus Christ greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Okay, just a, a little bit of uh, review. What's the storyline of the book of Philemon? The Apostle Paul was in prison in Rome and wrote this short letter to his 
much-loved and faithful fellow worker in the gospel, Philemon. He wrote this letter regarding Philemon's runaway slave, Onesimus, and Onesimus had somehow met Paul in Rome while Paul was in prison, and through that meeting, through that contact, context, became a believer in Jesus. And so now Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon, and in this letter, Paul is encouraging Philemon to accept Onesimus back, not only as his slave, but more so as a brother in Christ. And the significance and importance of this book is the message and real-life picture it presents of reconciliation in Christ and the depth of reconciliation that Jesus can bring about. It stands as a sterling example of the power of God to transform relationships. And it stands as a message to us that we must seek to forgive and heal and restore estranged relationships, even those where there has been great offense and pain. So let's pick up this at verse 14 where we left off last week and we'll try to bring it all together, the, what we saw last week and then what we look at today, try to bring this all together uh, later on in the message. All right, so we pick it up in verse 14 where Paul talks about a changed heart. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything that your goodness should not be, as it were, by compulsion, but of your own free will. Paul is saying to Philemon here that he did not want to force Philemon to accept Onesimus back. He didn't want to force him against his will. He wanted Philemon to accept Onesimus of his own free will. In other words, willingly, voluntarily. And it's not stated as such, but clearly Paul is hoping and praying that God will change Philemon's heart so that he will willingly accept Paul's request to welcome and restore Onesimus. And that is what is ultimately needed in reconciliation, is a changed heart. A heart that is changed from the hurt or the anger or the bitterness or the desire to, to get even to that person that has wronged you, that has brought about the estrangement in the relationship. We need a changed heart to forgiveness and healing and restoration. You see, reconciliation is more than simply getting two parties back together. True reconciliation is about God changing our heart. That's what must really happen. Another thing that Paul brings out is always look for what God might be doing. Verse 15. 
For perhaps, for perhaps, he was for this reason parted from you for a while that you should have him back forever. He's attempting to show Philemon here how God has actually used Onesimus' departure for a greater good. He says, Onesimus left you for a short time, but now, having left, you have him back forever. And the implication is not just as a slave that won't run away again, but you have him back now as a forever, a forever brother in Christ. And Paul says, perhaps for this reason he was parted from you. Meaning that sometimes we are able to see how God uses even and especially our most difficult and painful experiences to teach us and change us. Joe Avila was intoxicated while driving on the freeway and in a horrible accident took the life of 17-year-old Amy Wall. Joe pleaded guilty and spent seven and a half years in prison. And while in prison, Joe came to Jesus and served him while he was in prison. After his release, he met with the members of Amy's family, individually, her brother, her mother, her father, and sought their forgiveness. And at a restorative justice council event, in front of hundreds of people, Amy's father hugged Joe and told him he loved him. And Joe said this, I killed his daughter, and he was able to give me a hug and tell me, I love you. And I continue the quote, and that is a true testament to the miracle of reconciliation and why Christ died on the cross. God touched the lives of so many from that tragic event. You see, it was through that event that God brought Joe to Christ. And then through that, they were able to even reconcile. So always look for what God might be doing and, get this, allow room for the work of God in someone's life. Don't close off that possibility that God could be working in that person's life because of, 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 of what has happened between you and them. But allow for that possibility that God could be working in their life. Well, we now come to the heart of Paul's letter to Philemon. And I call this the heart of reconciliation. And we begin with the grace of reconciliation, verse 16. 
verse 15, Paul said, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Well, this is Paul's request to Philemon, right here. Accept him back. I'm writing to you, Philemon, that you might accept Onesimus back. But not just as a slave. Don't just take him back and put him back to work. And that's the end of the story. Accept him back as a brother in Christ. And as I said last week, this doesn't necessarily mean that Paul is asking Philemon to set Onesimus free from his bondage. But what he is asking for is radical nonetheless. What is clearly implied here is that the way we relate to people in general and the way we relate to one another as fellow believers is different. While we are called to love all people, we have a special love and care for those who are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Just the same as you love all people, but you have a special love for those in your your family, your earthly family. Well, we have that same special love and care for those who are our sisters and our brothers in Christ. Think about this. What would it take for Philemon to accept Onesimus back after he had wronged him in this way? What would it take to accept the slave after that slave had wronged him? And not only to accept him back, but now to accept him back in a new relationship as a brother in Christ. What would it take? It would take grace. The grace to forgive and not hold his wrongs against him. The grace for Philemon not to insist upon his rights, his legal rights, his rights as an individual. The grace to accept this slave now as an equal in Christ. Reconciliation requires grace. And grace is to show favor to someone in spite of their perceived unworthiness. They don't deserve it. They're not worthy of it. Grace shows favor in spite of it. The favor shown by Amy's family to Joe Avila, who had killed their daughter. Verse 17, if then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. It's like Paul is making himself clear of somehow Philemon didn't completely understand what he said in verse 16. This is what I mean, Philemon. I want you to understand this. Accept him back as you would me. Wow. This is so radical and so countercultural. It's barrier breaking, it's wall smashing. This did not mean that Onesimus would not be a slave any longer. But as his slave, Philemon would relate to Onesimus differently because he was now a brother in Christ. 
He was to relate to Onesimus the same way that he related to the Apostle Paul. I mean, this is nothing but grace. We move on and we see the cost of reconciliation. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Paul might be anticipating here a possible objection on the part of Philemon. And so he says, if he has wronged you, this could mean that maybe some theorize that Onesimus had stolen from him at the very beginning and then run away. Or it could refer to the economic loss that Philemon had experienced in the absence of Onesimus. Whatever, whatever cost there may have been, Paul says, I will pay it. Charge that to my account. And when we hear these words, we cannot help but see the picture of Jesus as he paid the great debt of sin that we owed. Our sins were put to his account, and he paid our debt. One writer says this. I love how he puts this. Just as... God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, so God is in Paul reconciling Philemon and Onesimus. Verse 19, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. Lest I should mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. Here, Paul guarantees that he will pay it, guarantees it with his signature. But he also reminds Philemon not to be too hard on Onesimus, as he himself, Philemon, owes a debt of gratitude. The point to be understood here is there is a cost in reconciliation. The cost is the offense. It could be monetary, as it seems to be, appears to be here with Philemon and Onesimus. But the cost is more often the pain of whatever caused the relationship to be broken. Harsh words, abandonment, abuse, The list could go on. Now, in the situation of Philemon and Onesimus, Paul, as a third party, is willing to pay that cost in order to effect the reconciliation. But most often, there is no third party that can pay for the pain and the hurt. And that means that you have to pay for it yourself in forgiveness. That means that you choose, rather than to make that person pay for what they've done, you choose to absorb that pain or hurt or whatever it is. You have to pay for it yourself in forgiveness. You absorb the cost, the pain, 
You are absorbing the pain without making that person pay in order to heal the relationship. I mean, this is what Jesus did for us. This is forgiveness. This is grace. This is reconciliation. There's a cost to it, and we have to be willing to pay that cost in forgiveness. But through the process of reconciliation, there is also great blessing. Verse 20, Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Paul is saying to Philemon, if you can do this, if you can reconcile with Onesimus, you will refresh my heart in Christ. And the word for heart here refers to deep-seated emotions. It's a different word than normally used for heart, the cardia word. It's a different word. It it refers to deep-seated emotions. It's like Paul is saying, if you can do this, I will be blessed deep in my soul. And this is and this blessing far outweighs the cost. And this is the blessing that reconciliation brings. There's one final aspect of reconciliation and that is grace in abundance in verse 21. Having confidence in your obedience I write to you since I know that you will do even more than what I say. Paul is saying that he is confident that Philemon will not just do the minimum, but he will go above and beyond what Paul requests. And this is the way that grace is. A legalistic mind says, what's the least I can do to obey and get by. What, 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 what's the least I can do? What do I have to do? Grace says, what must I do and how much can I do? See, grace abounds. That's the nature of grace. God's grace doesn't just cover a list of sins. It covers all of our sins. And our grace toward others should not be limited to simply what we have to do. Okay, I'll be nice to him. I'll be nice to her. But I don't like it and I'm not happy about it. But abound in grace in our relationship to others. In forgiveness and reconciliation. Do more than what is required. Then we have the closing verses to look at briefly. At the same time, prepare for me a lodging. For I hope... Through your prayers that I shall be given to you, Paul plans to visit there, assuming his release from prison. And Some people think that Paul is uh, kind of uh, mentioning this as a way to uh, maybe hold, <coughs> excuse me, hold Philemon accountable. That I'm going to be coming, I'm going to be checking on you. Maybe, maybe that's the case or not, but he does plan to visit there. Verse 23, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark and Aristarchus and Demas and Luke and my fellow workers. These are his fellow workers 
all of whom, by the way, were mentioned at the end of the book of Colossians as well, indicating, again, giving further evidence that these two letters, the letter to Colossians and this letter to Philemon, were written at the very same time because Paul's there in prison with the same fellow workers that send their greetings. And so the two letters were written very possibly carried by Tychicus to the church in Colossae and given to Philemon also. Verse 25, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So what do we take away from the book of Philemon? Well, last week, I want to try to bring it all together now. Last week, we saw three key truths. First of all, the motivation of love. Paul says he could command Philemon to obey his request because of his, as an apostle and his apostolic authority, but he doesn't want to do that. He appeals to Philemon to act in love. And so that is, should be our motivation, not insisting on our rights, but seeking to meet the needs of others in love. We also saw last week the power of the gospel to transform. Onesimus had been transformed by the gospel. He's a transformed person. Formerly useless, Paul says, but now useful. And we must always believe that God can change the hearts of people and change behavior. We need to believe that for ourselves, that God can change us in the things that we struggle with. We need to believe it for others, that God can work in their hearts as well. And then thirdly from last week, we saw the hard work of doing the right thing. We saw that Paul was sending Onesimus back, but he says he was sending his very heart in doing so. In other words, it was a struggle. It was hard for him to give up Philemon. They had become so close. And, 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 Philemon, and I mean, Onesimus and, and, and Onesimus had, was serving Paul there in prison, but he, he says, I got to do the right thing. I got to send them back to you. He could probably make a list of reasons why, you know, he could write to Philemon and say, you know, by the way, your slave Onesimus has become a Christian. I hope you'll forgive him for running away, but he's really a help here and I need him here. So, so he's going to stay with me. I mean, he probably could have done that. But the right thing was to send Onesimus back. But even though it was hard, and that's the reality in forgiveness and reconciliation. To do the right thing is often so hard. But we have to resolve to do the right thing, to do the hard work of doing the right thing. All right, and then from today, to review what we've seen, we saw a changed heart. And this is what is needed for reconciliation to take place. A changed heart. To be able to let go of wrongs and offenses. Before we look outward at the other person and at what they need to do, we need to look inward at our own heart and pray that God can change our heart. We saw that we should be looking for what God might be doing, even in these difficult relationships. Paul told Philemon that Onesimus' departure, it, all of that may have been part of God's plan. 
Because through that, Onesimus came to Christ, and now Onesimus is a brother in Christ to Philemon. You see, God has a way of getting our attention in difficult times. As C.S. Lewis has said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So let's make sure we don't close our hearts to God in the midst of difficult times. And this is what happens so often. Instead of opening ourselves to God, crying out to Him, and for God to do whatever work He needs to do in us, so often people shut down and they turn away from God because they think God let them down or, or whatever. We need to open our hearts to see what God might be able to do in us. He might be doing a work in that other person's life. We don't want to miss that. And he might need to do a work in our lives. And we must allow for the possibility for God to work in that other person's life. Even though it seems like, oh, that would never happen. There's such a reprobate, you know. We must allow for the possibility that God can work in that person's life. We saw then the grace of reconciliation as well, that if Philemon and Onesimus were ever to be reconciled as brothers in Christ, it would, it would require grace on the part of Philemon and on the part of Onesimus. On the part of Onesimus to ask for forgiveness on the part of Philemon to extend that forgiveness. And reconciliation and forgiveness are ultimately about grace. In the same way that God showed us favor when we were unworthy, so we are to show that kind of favor to others. Grace means we can't just hold on to our rights. You see, by all rights, God had no reason to save us. We were guilty of, of violating his moral law. But he set aside his rights and chose to save us and showed us grace. And we must do the same in reconciliation. And then we saw that there's a cost in reconciliation. Paul offered to pay for the wrongs that Onesimus had done to Philemon, charged that to my account. But in most cases, we don't have that third party. In most cases, the offended party must absorb the wrongs and the pain. The one forgiving ultimately pays the cost. This is part of the grace of forgiveness. It's only by grace that we are able to and made willing to pay that cost. But then there's the blessing of reconciliation. This is the refreshment of the heart 
that comes when those relationships are restored. It's a deep-seated joy deep in our soul. And few things are of greater importance and bring greater joy and satisfaction than the healing and restoration of a relationship. And then there is grace in abundance. I know that you will do even more than what I say. The nature of grace is not to keep records. It goes above and beyond. This is what God did for us in Jesus, and this is what we need to do toward others. Reconciliation and forgiveness are at the heart of the gospel. This is what the death of Christ is all about. And it is to be at the heart of the Christian life as we seek to imitate Jesus. The book of Philemon is about radical reconciliation. And it is in the Bible as that message for us. The gospel has the power to transform relationships. And this isn't optional. This is what God desires of us and for us. And so as you consider this, as you think about these truths, is there a relationship in your life that the Spirit of God brings to mind? Someone with whom you need to make things right. It may not be easy. And in some cases we have to acknowledge it may not be possible because Paul says in Romans, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. So far as it depends upon you. That's not an excuse not to try. That simply means when we have done all we can, the other person might not be willing. But we have to first do all that we can. May God give to each of us the desire and the resolve to pursue the relational transformative power of the gospel. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, again for your word that you've given to us and pray that the Spirit of God would once again open our minds and hearts to hear and understand your word and receive your word and may the Spirit of God show us where it speaks to us into our lives. And Lord, I pray about this message of reconciliation. That if there are those outstanding relationships, estranged, cut off, that you would that you would bring bring your healing, 
and your power to bear on those. And going forward, Lord, when there inevitable will be those times when relationships suffer, may the Spirit of God bring these truths to our minds to bring about healing and reconciliation. We thank you for all that you have done for us in reconciling us to you. And we pray that our lives might reflect that same spirit of reconciliation in Jesus' name. Amen.